Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet, the go-to podcast for parents with multiple kids, especially those with twins, triplets, or more, who are navigating the maze of modern family life and personal finance. Whether you're overwhelmed by education or retirement planning, parenting dilemmas, career transitions, or trying to define your purpose and plan, we're here to guide you with empathy, encouragement, and expertise. Hosted by Paul Fenner, founder of Tama Capital, a certified financial planner and parent to four kids, including a set of triplets, our podcast is your ally in the quest for financial peace of mind, proving that money matters, but family comes first. Subscribe now and join our community of empowered parents at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. What does comprehensive financial planning even mean? At Tama Capital, it means a family office where lifestyle planning such as retirement, college, portfolio management, tax prep and planning, all are under one umbrella. But it goes beyond numbers. We focus as much on the emotional side of financial planning as we do on the financial side. We get you. We understand your challenges of building a family, business or career, and a healthy life. We are devoted to wealth planning for families like yours because we are you. Learn how our family can help your family by visiting TamaCapital.com. What would you do as a parent to save your struggling relationship with one of your kids? Ann Coleman is a former attorney who specialized in divorce, child custody, and adoption cases. Through raising her adopted son, Ann found herself deep in research, becoming a parenting expert on how to talk with teenagers struggling with anxiety, substance abuse, and mental health challenges. Sharing the details of her own experience as a parent, Anne walks us through her extensive research on teenage brain development and how it shaped her approach to parenting and led to creating resources for parenting parents to use. Throughout our conversation, Anne provides practical advice and highlights the need for self-awareness and intentional reactions in dealing with children's emotions. Remember, reasoning with a child during an emotional meltdown often proves ineffective. Wait for a moment to calm down, to have a thoughtful conversation. Please enjoy my conversation with Ann Coleman. Ann Coleman, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So tell us where where we find you today geographically. Let me... Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Geographically, I am in the South, baby. I am way down South in Alabama. Um, I moved, we moved here from South Carolina about four years ago. We moved back to my, um, where I grew up, um, a little unwillingly, but anyway, we're here. We're going to be here. My mother is 89. So we live with her. We take care of her or she takes care of us maybe because she's pretty spry, but, um, so anyway, we are we are down south. If you can't tell by my accent, 
Yes, I gathered that as soon as uh, we got on. So I'm like, mm, this is going to be a fun conversation. Yeah. So I don't have any families that I work with in Alabama, but I have families that are from Alabama. So oh, really? Okay. But you can tell by the accent. Yes. So, um, you know, today's topics, just to set this up for our, our audience, is we're going to be talking in depth about parenting. And I'm going to turn it over to you in a second. For you to talk about your background and how you've gone through this fascinating, albeit be it probably difficult, you know, journey of a, attorney to being, um, I think you called it a lay expert, but you're probably a better expert than most on parenting, especially teens that have anxiety, depression type of issues. And so you, you've built this framework that I think is going to be at the heart of our conversation today. But really what, what I wrote down, and I'm looking at my notes, that I noted this is what I want to learn or take away from our conversation today is how to build better connections with my kids, how to decrease conflict with my kids, and how to make parenting less stressful. Right. So right. those are our tall orders, but knowing the background yep. that I do of you um, and your experience in going through firsthand, I think you're going to be able to enlighten not only myself, but our entire audience who are mainly parents mm -hmm. on these topics. So enough with my rambling. Let me turn it over to you, Anne, okay. and have you walk us through a little bit about you, your background, and, and, and how you made it to where you're at today. Okay. Well, so I was I was an attorney for years and years and years. I started out as a divorce attorney, divorce, child custody, adoption. Um, we adopted my son at birth, brought him home from the hospital. And after I did that, I thought, oh, that's that is so cool. I got to do that. So I did that for a little while, took a break from practicing law um, to raise him, went back to practicing law and moved far, far away from divorce and custody and all that good stuff. And went into a very niche area of um, helping clinical laboratories um, in their work so that I did not have to go to court anymore. I could sit at my desk. I could do contracts and all that good stuff. So I'm working from home. And my son, we only have one child at home. My husband has two older kids. And he, um, from birth, had anxiety. Looking back now, I, I realized what it was. So he was anxious from birth. He was high, strong, um, hard to handle, very intense from the get-go, which was funny because if I had given birth to him myself, he could not have been more like me. So he has ADHD, he had anxiety, so do I. So as you can imagine, there was a little bit of conflict there. Um, and so that's what happened. As he got older, and my husband and I kept saying, okay, surely he's going to sleep through the night at some point. You know, at six, age eight, age 10, we're still looking at each other and saying the same thing. He always had sleep issues. And we're like, well, you know, he's not going to be crawling in bed with us when he's 16 and driving a car. Well, <laughs> little did we know, it only got worse. So the sleep issues, he never could sleep. It, was it the ADHD? Was it the, the uh, ADHD medication? keeping him up? Was it the anxiety? You know, these were all the issues. Um, he also had, you know, major troubles in school because of the ADHD, and he was attending a, a, a private Episcopal school, which was, you know, the rigorous 
work, and that was horrible for him. They did not accommodate him in the least, and so and he also had dyslexia. So it, our whole life up until about through eighth grade was about school, ADHD, the learning issues, the accommodations, and how are we going to get him to study? How are we going to get him to turn in homework? How we, you know, how how do we do this? And so that was my focus. Those were all the books I was reading. That was, you know, the blogs and everything I was listening to. It was all focused on school. And so at the end of eighth grade, we decide we've got to get him out of this environment. This Episcopal school is not, you know, it, all of his friends were there, yes, but the accommodations, and it was only going to get worse in high school when he got to the upper school, took him out, put him in public school. Ninth grade seemed to go, okay, looking good. End of ninth grade, I discover he's been smoking weed the whole year, and which was really interesting because all my friends at the Episcopal school were like, yeah, yeah, you know, you take them out of the school here, you put them in public school, they're going to be smoking weed in the bathroom, and they're going to get in trouble, and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, okay, is, is, was that right? Is this is what? But no, that's not at all what happening. What was happening? He was smoking weed with the kid right down the street from us in the same neighborhood. That's where they were doing it. And so the the weed smoking really kind of blew my mind because I grew up with a drug addict brother. My brother started smoking weed when he was probably 12 or 13, and it just progressed really quickly into cocaine, heroin, ended at methamphetamine or meth. I don't even know what that's short for, meth. And he died a few years ago in his 50s and had been a drug addict. He was younger than me, had been a drug addict forever. And so growing up in that environment with my parents struggling to deal with him and seeing fights and and what he was doing to them and how he just broke their heart and killed them inside, my whole thing was that is never going to happen to my child. I am not allowing that to happen. I didn't even at first... Uh, Thought I was never going to have children, um, but I thought if I do, we're doing this right, and this is not going to happen. So when I found out he was smoking weed, emotionally, I just I couldn't handle it. I just went off the deep end. I'm like, no, you are not going to do this. So I started controlling, and I started putting my foot down, and you know, no child of mine is going to do that. And so the fear took over. And when fear takes over as a parent, a lot of times we what we do is we try to control. And if you try to control a teenager, an adolescent, that backfires pretty quickly. Yeah. I didn't realize that at the time. So the more I controlled, the more he pushed back. The more I control and the more he pushed back, the more I controlled. So it 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 escalated to a point where he was um he he was really spiraling. And long story short, we ended up putting him in residential treatment for his anxiety and for, you know, smoking weed. He was also dabbling in other stuff and trying other things. And my my point was to get him fixed. You know, he needed to be fixed. He was doing wrong and I couldn't control it. And my husband, sweet husband, who is much calmer than me, kept telling me that I was going about it the wrong way. And no, no, no. You know, he'd punch me in the in the ribs. Stop, stop, stop. And I just couldn't. 
And I didn't know any other way. And I had never read any books about this because it had always been about school and education. And then once we got into the middle of it, I, w- I was l- reaching out for, you know, problem teenager and, and looking at all this stuff on online. And that did not lead me where I needed to go. It did lead us to putting him into residential treatment after all the counselors were, you know, shrugging their shoulders and going, you know, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to help you anymore. You just need to, you know, go go put him somewhere. And we did. So we're in South Carolina at the time. We put him in California, which was, um, you wow. know, the old, yeah, California had him, as the kids call it, gooned, which means they come get them in the middle of the night and they whisk them away on an airplane. Two strangers come pick them up and take them. And I mean, just thinking back, it makes me want to cry. Unbeknownst to him. Unbeknownst to him. They come in at Mm. four o'clock on a Sunday morning. You go wake them up and say, honey, we've done, we've done everything. I've tried to talk you into going. You won't go. I love you. You leave the room. They walk in and say, son, this is what we're doing. You're going with us. And they they pick them up, and if they have to, they take them fighting and biting and clawing to the car, drive them to the airport, and get on a plane and go across the country. And, and it, look, looking back now, I mean, it was a good decision in that it did it did change his environment quickly and made him it, it forced him to counseling because he would not go to counseling so it forced him to go they had counseling every day it forced him to to reflect and look at what he was doing to his life even though he hated it the whole time he was there two months and um and then when he left there uh we brought him out of south carolina moved to alabama to my mother's house because they they tell you don't take them back to the same environment there's no why point. is that you know, because once you have, you know, if they've gotten better in this environment and you take them right back to where they were using drugs and the people they were, you know, hanging out with and and getting in trouble with, you've wasted your time. They're going right back to that. And it's nearly impossible to keep them, you know, walking a good path. So they tell you either put them in, um, let's see, in what is it called? I'm trying boarding school. Um now, now I can't think of the name of it, but um, therapeutic, therapeutic bo- boarding school or um, put them in something where it's, it's an outpatient um, based kind of, you know, situation. And we there are very few of those around, by the way. Now, the, the boarding schools, yes, but he was almost out of high school. He was a senior by that point. I was just or gonna going ask, into like, what, what age or, or grade yeah. was all this going on? Yeah, this was going on when he was mainly towards the end of 10th grade, 10th and 11th grade year was when it was just horrible. And then we put him in, I think it, it would have been the beginning of his senior year, which by that point, I'd already taken him out of school. I was homeschooling him, trying to keep him away from these people. I mean, it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. And so what happened was we brought him to Alabama this was right before COVID. It was the year before COVID. Um, he spent a year here. And during that year, what I learned that the last, he was only in residential for a couple of months. But during that time, we had family counseling over Zoom every week. I want to say it was twice a week. 
And the therapist would try to tell me how to talk to him. Like, you need to validate his feelings and you need to set boundaries, but hold firm, but do this. And I'm like, dude, I don't know what you are talking about. You are speaking a foreign language. He's like, okay, go read the book, No Drama Discipline by Dan Siegel. And and that is, you'll have to put that in your show notes because it, it is a fabulous book. Now, I was a little confused when he told me to read this because it's for parents of toddlers. And I'm like, okay, I have a 17-year-old, soon to be 18. You want to read me this? You want me to read this book about toddlers? Excuse me. But um, as I started reading it, I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. I see. I get it. And it, it's all about what I teach now. It's it's about understanding how a child's brain works and how they interpret the way you react to, to them and about your own emotions and how you have to learn how to be aware of and regulate your own emotions so that you can respond to your child in the proper way. And um, it was all new to me. It was I was like, oh, my God, this is an entire world I knew nothing about. So as I'm reading this a little bit while he's still there, and then when he gets home, I continue reading and, you know, finish the book quickly. And I started implementing with him what the book was telling me, which was basically now I know they were it, it teaches emotion coaching. And so I started totally changing the way I spoke with him the way I reacted to him when he had his big emotions, which he had quite often. We had all the doors, you know, were broken in our house. We had holes in the plaster walls. He had, he could not control himself. And when he got out of control, I got out of control, trying to control him. So this book taught me an entirely different way. And I'm like, oh my God, I have got to learn more about this. So I I, I kind of went to the sources that, that Dan Siegel cited in the book and I started reading their stuff and I started reading about emotional intelligence and I started reading about emotion theory and I read the original book about emotion coaching and then I started reading about neurobiology and neuropsychology of of adolescence and the more I read the more I wanted to read and I would write down the citations and finally I just thought if I'm going to write down the citations and do all this stuff I might as well write a book so I wrote myself a book about the teenage brain and about emotions and emotion theory and emotion coaching and all this stuff. And I put it together. And as I was doing that, it was my way of learning all this stuff. That's how I learn. I learn by writing it down and putting it into kind of a um, something that makes sense for me. Do you and, think that, do you think that Anne goes back to your, your, I guess, training as an attorney? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's what I learned to do in law school because I was ADHD and didn't know it at the time. So what I always did was I would read it. I would write it down. I would put it in, you know, an outline and make it make sense to me. And so that's what I was doing with all of this stuff. And as as I've done this over the past four years, I I did. I, I came up with a framework, which actually I just kind of put all that together recently because what I've done, and and this is the way I like to approach any subject, anything I've ever wanted to know, I would always, you know, 
it, back in the good old days, I'd go to Barnes and Noble and buy six books on it and sit down and read all six books and, you know, flip through it and write notes and put post-its in there. And so and Barnes and I, Nobles, by the way, still exist. audience I listeners. I was actually I in one on Sunday in Holland, Michigan. Amazingly enough. Yeah. And I still love to go. And, you know, but that's how I, I kind of approach this from lots of different directions. <clears throat> and most most experts, what I've found is that most experts um, zero in on one area of something. Like you have someone who specializes in neurobiology, or you have someone who specializes in how mindfulness helps teenagers, or you have someone that specializes in you know emotion coaching. But what I did was I kind of pulled all these disparate, you know, separate things together and then wound them all into a framework that makes so much sense. And I wish everyone taught this framework because it's what would have helped me a few years ago with my son. And that's the way I look at it is, you know, I want to help parents understand the direction that they need to approach their adolescence and certainly not make the mistakes that I made. So that's when I kind of you know, over these last four years, I've gradually, gradually kind of whittled away at my clients. And I'm like, nah, I don't really want to No, you need another attorney for that. And you need another attorney for this. And then, I mean, I, I have literally, I've hung on to like a couple so that they kind of finance my all my free giveaway, you know, helping parents right now, because that's what I do. I have my podcast. I, I post on Instagram. I just opened a Facebook group. And that's my goal is to help other parents, mothers, grandmothers, whoever is raising an adolescent these days, help them understand what they need to know because so many people just go at this the way I did, which is the exact opposite of what you need to do with a kid. So going back to that, you 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 had me at this point where the you're you're having these escalations with your son and and he's getting upset and then you raise your level of, of getting upset. And I know I do the same thing and I know it's like not the right thing to do. Like I should be like not escalating. I need to be pulling back. So that way right. if I pull back and I'm calmer, hopefully that should, you know, lower the temperature, you know, of, of my kids, whoever, whatever one I'm having the conversation yeah. with at the <laughs> yeah. time. Um, but I guess, and like how, you know, I don't know how old you are. I'm 47, but you know, I've had these a lot older than a you. long, long, long time. And so my question is, how do you unpack that? Or how, how do you undo your own yeah. neurology mapping, if you will? Because that's really what has to happen for exactly. an adult to, to, to make that kind of transition. Exactly. And that that's the, now, you know, believe it or not, there are parents out there who are quite calm <laughs> from the get go. And I, I don't meet mer very many of them. But yeah, we that that's part of the framework. I mean, number one is understanding your your teens, your adolescents brain, how it works, what these changes that are going on in their brain, how that impacts their thoughts, their behavior and their responses and um, their emotions. And then secondly, yes. How do I rein in my own behavior? I need to be aware of my emotions. I need to be aware of how they impact my behavior. And I need to be able to regulate those emotions so that I'm not escalating a situation. And then thirdly, 
you need to understand how to communicate with your child when they are experiencing big emotions and understand how to coach them through that while maintaining your own calmness. And, you know, and that's that's a huge thing, um, how to coach them through that. And then the other piece is the discipline piece. And that's that's multifaceted in it in and of itself. But yeah, our, you know, I didn't know, I never even thought about emotions as a thing ever. I just they just happened to me is the way it felt. And so you have to understand and start from the very, very beginning to understand what is an emotion. You know, how does it happen? And how does that impact? How how do those thoughts and emotions impact the way we respond to our child? Um, Dan Siegel, I love it. In that first book that I read, No No Drama Discipline, he talks about our shark music. He says, and it's so interesting, you know, like you're walking along the beach. I can hear Jaws beach. playing in the background. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, picture those scenes from, from the beach and, and picture, you know, listen to some still drum uh, music in your head. You know, you're, you're in the Caribbean and the beach is beautiful and you have this wonderful music playing and kids are running around, they're screaming and, and everybody's sunbathing and you might see somebody running down the beach and then switch that music to Jaws. Da-dum. The whole scene changes. Everything's colored. Now, people that are, you know, kids that are squealing and people running down the beach, it's like they're running from something. It looks different. It feels different. So I love the way he approaches this. He says that our shark music, our background as a parent, our background, our history, our thoughts and what's going on in our own mind color the way we view our kids' behavior and the way we approach it. So my shark music was my brother's drugs and my brother's addiction. So that shark music was playing in my head. So the instant I smelled weed on him or thought he might be doing something, it was da-dum, da-dum, and then I would go nuts. So to rein that in, you have to, number one, understand that, hey, I have emotions and where are those emotions coming from? And what does that mean when I just go off the deep end on him when this particular thing happens? You have to, number one, a good place to start is journaling. So, excuse me, and that's been scientifically proven. Journaling is scientifically proven over and over and over and over again to help you become more aware of your emotions, and to be able to regulate them better. Unless you're aware that you're experiencing an emotion and what emotion that is and where that comes from, you can't hope to be able to regulate it. But once you're aware of it, once it dawned on me why I was acting the way I was acting and where that was coming from, then I was able to kind of set that aside and go, okay, that's what's happening to me now. How can I not let that happen again? And funny thing, when you are aware that that's what's going on, it gives you such clarity and it separates you. It gives a space in between the situation, what's happening with your child and how you respond to it. It gives you enough space there that you can go, okay, I know This is happening in my brain because of how I grew up, and I need to take a step back from that and think about how I want to respond. It, 
you can be more intentional in your response. I, I call it, and most a lot of people call it, you know, you're either reacting immediately just on, you know, whatever happens and comes out of your mouth and however you feel, or you have that space where you can think a minute and realize what's going on and then decide how you want to respond to your child instead of react. And, and that is what made all the difference in the world for me was to go, okay, stop, think a minute and respond. And the way you respond when your kid is experiencing huge emotions is instead of going, oh my God, calm down, because that was my That's my the worst first, thing to say to somebody, yes, calm down. It is the absolute. <laughs> and we just think about it as an adult. If we're upset about something yeah. our, and our spouse goes, oh my God, calm down. I mean, what are you going to do immediately? You're gonna, I don't it's like the 4th of down. July fireworks. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's the same thing with your kid. Don't tell them to calm down. Don't tell them, oh my God, it's okay. You're never, you're not even going to know these people in 20 years. You're not going to care. It doesn't matter. Chill out. None of that. What that is, is you are invalidating their emotions. And that is the exact opposite. Ah, Invalidate. That's an interesting Invalidate. Yeah, that's an interesting word. Invalidate their emotions. Mm -hmm. That's you're telling them you're silly. You're being silly. You're being stupid. You don't know what it's like to be a person yet. You don't deserve to have those emotions. And and that's the way it is, you know, with an adult telling another adult. It's the same right. thing. You're invalidating them. So instead of that, you validate their emotions and go, oh, honey, okay, I understand you're so frustrated right now. And this is so hard to do when your kid is going, Mah! and they are, you know, bouncing off the walls. But if you can take that moment to get a grip and go, gosh, you know, I can see, and it almost sounds silly, but it works. I can see that you're really angry right now. So maybe you give them a minute, say, I'm going to give you a minute, and then we'll talk about it in a little in a little bit, if they are just beyond, you know, being able to calm down. But what helps them to calm down is being validated and saying, oh my gosh, I can see that you're angry. And, you know, I can, it is very upsetting when somebody tells us that we're, you know, not cool or when somebody leaves us out of something or whatever it is that has happened. And you have to kind of figure out what has happened by asking, you know, a couple of curiosity questions, I call them. But and you say, you know what, I get it. I, I, I would totally be upset or I would totally be it. Try to narrow down that emotion word for them to help them because you're helping them understand their own emotions in the, at that point. I understand how frustrated it, you must be, or I understand, you know, you're just furious about this or whatever it is. And whatever they're saying to you, you reflect that back and go, oh, I get it. Yeah, you're upset. You're You're frustrated because the coach told you, you know, you had to sit over here or because your teacher, you know, gave you a, a C because she thought you did this wrong or whatever it is. You validate and let them know, you know what, you have a right to feel however it is you're feeling right now. We all have a right to our emotions. You don't have to change that. But what you might need to change is how you're responding, honey, because you can't tear the door off the hinges right now or you can't. But, you know, there's not much you can do in that moment when they are tearing the door off the hinges other than take a step back and go, okay, you know, 
whatever's happening right now, there's no way I can physically stop that when they're a teenager. And then afterwards, and you have that uh, that conversation with them, you say, you know, honey, next time, I tell you what, when you're feeling this way, why don't you go out in the backyard and there's a shovel sitting right over there, you know, <laughs> dig into the ground, whatever you have. Let's just not break all the doors in the house. And, you know, you can have a humorous conversation like that. But let me tell you what, it is not worth what, you know, trying to stop that in the middle of it and reason with them when they are at the tearing the door off the hinges stage. There's no reasoning at that point. Work. There's no reasoning. Their brain, the way their brain works and the way most of our brains work, their prefrontal cortex, that thinking part of the brain is completely disconnected. Their amygdala, the part, the emotional part of the brain has completely taken over and they cannot help that. That is how their brain works at this age. They can't help it, but you can help them learn how to manage those emotions by doing just what I said, by listening to them, not interrupting them, but listening, let let them vent, let them get it out, and then reflect back what you hear them say. You know, I understand this, I understand that. You know, this is how, you know, you're probably feeling this way or that way. Let them vent. And then you can help them, you know, with that emotion word, teach them, you know, what that emotion is. And while you're doing this and going through this nice, calm, you know, discussion yourself, even if they're still kind of, you know, up in the air a little bit, eventually it will come down. And another thing that you can do in that moment is give them a loving touch of some kind, touch their arm, rub their back, you know, hold their hand, whatever it is that you can do, because that scientifically is proven to release oxytocin in the brain. It's that same bonding um, neurochemical that comes out when a mother is breastfeeding or when you're holding your baby. You know, that loving touch will send a, a surge of, of oxytocin to their brain and help them calm down. So, you know, there's a reason we touch our kid, you know, in that way, and that is to help their brain take a breath. So all of these things that you're doing in the moment to help them get calm, then will you know, de-escalate things. And then, and only then, should you talk to them about whatever it is, misbehavior that's gone on, if there's something that they've done, if they've, if they've, you know, in their moment of emotions, they've broken a door or they've called you a name or they've, you know, hit their sister or whatever it is, then, then you talk to them about that. But there is absolutely no reason and, and you should never try to talk to them about what they've done wrong when they are in the mo middle of an emotional, you know, tirade or meltdown. So, I'm interested, Anne, to find out like how long this transition for you took, and then probably most importantly, how much grace did you have to give yourself? Because being aware is one thing, but then being able to follow up on it is yeah. another. And there's oh, yeah. times when you were able to do it, and then times when you fail. Because I feel like that's the that's the roller coaster that that is the word parenting. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's like you know that you should be de-escalating, de de but yep. then you're letting your emotion, your own, my own emotions, get the best of me when I still keep yelling at the kid. Absolutely, and you know, and and even before 
I really knew all this, I knew that. I knew that my emotions were getting the best of me. I knew that I shouldn't be yelling or I should, but I had no idea how to rein it in, had no clue. And so, yes, you have to give yourself grace because this is not an easy thing to learn if you've been all the way over here like I was. You know, if you're not quite as far as I was, it's a little bit easier. But oh my God, we're pretty similar on that spectrum, by the way. (laughs) Oh God. And, you know, I would be like, okay, stop, Anne. Okay, what is it I'm supposed to say? Oh my God, I can't remember. Um, I'm supposed to say, uh, uh, and, and it, I mean, literally, if I'd had a cheat sheet on the refrigerator, it would have helped because I just did not know what to do other than to say, calm down. That was my go-to, calm down, calm down. And so I really had to stop and think, and it took practice. I mean, you know, when I first did it the first couple of times and didn't respond to him the way I normally do, I could see the look on his face was like, what the hell? I who mean, are you? What'd you who, do with my mother? Where, yeah. He <laughs> literally, and, and I tell people, it takes them a while to understand that things have really changed with you and that you're not actually doing what you used to do. Because at the very beginning, it it did de-escalate things a little bit. And but he was still coming at me. He was still coming at me because he was expecting that fight that we always yeah. had. So it, you know, it's training for both, both of you. Um, but, you know, after I'd say a couple of weeks of going through it, then I could really start to see a difference in him. And within a year, it, it, we had a different relationship. I mean, the whole family dynamic changed. He was happier. He was less tense. He was not taking any medication, which was amazing because he had always been on medication, antidepressants for his anxiety and all this stuff. His anxiety was getting much better. And and then right before COVID hit, he we he decided he did not want to go to college, which that's a whole other conversation in and of itself. Um, he was always going to go to college. And then all of a sudden... No, which in a way was a little bit of a relief because of all the ADHD, dyslexia stuff. I knew college was going to be horribly difficult for him. And so he was like, you know what? I just want to be a professional snowboarder. (laughs) No, I know. So my husband and I were like, okay, he'd been snowboarding since he was a wee tot. So we thought, okay, well, and he's really good at it. It makes sense. Okay. I tell you what, he's had such a hard time. Let's take a gap year. We'll send you out to Colorado. We'll put you in snowboarding school. I was going to say, there's no snow in Alabama. (laughs) There's no snow in Alabama. But when we lived in South Carolina, we were in North Carolina or out in Colorado or up in West Virginia. So you could get to the mountains. Yeah, from from South Carolina, you could. Yeah, all the time. And we'd fly wherever. But he loved it. It made him happy. And I thought, you know what? We've been through such hell for the last couple of years. He has had such a hard time. He's doing great now. He wasn't, you know, doing any of the stuff he was doing before. And he needs this. So, okay, gap year. We'll call it a gap year. Send him off to Colorado. Um, then COVID hit. Like, he broke his knee uh, after the first few weeks. Of course, we couldn't get a refund. And then COVID hit and he had to come home. And that was 20, what was that, 2019 when all that, when COVID? 2020. 2020. So he went back out the next year. He got really, you know, much better anxiety-wise and everything. It just kept getting better. 
went back out in 21 and he's been there ever since. And he's actually a professional snowboarder now. Wow. (laughs) Yes. Wow. So he actually did it. He actually did it. He has a sponsor. He and he's been on the the you know did the what is it national or world tour I don't know what it is it's crazy I don't even like to watch the videos it scares the hell out of me it's crazy but you know between the trees and off the cliffs and all that kind of crazy stuff but he is loving life and that's the second lesson I would I would tell parents is that you know what it's one thing to want your child to be something and you want to have a certain future for them. And you have all this envisioned when they're younger, even before they're born, you know, my kid's going to, you don't really realize it, but my kid's going to be this and this and this and this, and they're going to go to college and they're going to be a frat boy and they're going to, you know, be a financial planner and they're going to do all these wonderful (laughs) things and, or an attorney or a doctor or whatever. And my kid's a professional snowboarder. And you know what? That's okay. Because he is happy. He is happy. He is loving life. He has a huge group of friends. He he says, mom, I love going to work every day because he works actually in a snowboard place in Christie's out in, in um, uh, Silverthorne or Frisco. All those little places are together. Um, and he's like, I love going to work every day because they get like two hours off in the middle of the day to go snowboarding. And I mean, it's just the whole atmosphere. It's just, it, I'm assuming it's kind of like what it would be like in, you know, Malibu at the at the surf shops. And yeah. what, it's the same, you know, surfer dude, snowboarder dude. They love it. So I'm good with that. Parents, you can't force your kid to be something they're not. You cannot force your um your dream for your kid on your kid, you will make a miserable kid. And one day they're going to wake up and they're going to realize I did the wrong thing. I don't need to be this or that. I didn't even really want to marry this person or live in this home. I wanted to do X, Y, and Z. And they're going to have a midlife crisis and it's going to be bad and they're going to blame you. So let your kid call the shots a little bit. And don't force them to be something that they're not. They will be happier. You will be happier. End of story. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more on the expectations. I feel like I've been writing about expectations for a while, and the the there's a there's a strong disconnect between. I mean, obviously the the higher your 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 level of expectation, the greater the 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 fall can be. And if you can work on level setting expectations, that is a huge win when it comes to not only your financial life, but your personal life as well, because the, the two are extremely tied together. And that's, that's one thing I talk about on the show. When I talk to families I work with is that I think there's this idea out there that your personal life is separate from your financial life. And and for the people listening, you can't see this, but I always do this where I why yep. I bring my hands together that they are strongly intertwined. They are strongly inter interconnected. Um absolutely. And and we put so much there, you know, the um mental health tragedy that's going on right now with adolescents, it's real. It's real. Kids are losing their life. Kids are are on medication. They are self-harming. You know, you don't ever want that to happen to your kid. And 
I mean, my son was diagnosed with anxiety and depression. He had suicidal thoughts and tendencies during that time. It is scary. It is scary, scary, scary. And the pressure that we put on our kids to excel in school, you know, we put them in the rigorous schools and we put them, you know, they're in the best schools in the best neighborhoods and the pressure is so real. That was my very first podcast episode, I think, or maybe number two, where I talked about the pressure um, that is on these kids to excel. And even if it's not the parent putting the pressure on them, it's them putting the pressure on them. They compete with each other. And now, you know, getting into college, that's all they talk about from eighth grade on. And, you know, it's not like when I grew up, I didn't even, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to college. So I applied to one I got in. I mean, big deal. (laughs) It was just not the way it is now. And, you know, my advice to parents is, you know, grades, great. You know, you can get into college with average grades. You might not get into the best college, but there are only a few kids that are going to get in to the best college. and you know, yes, that's great if they can do it, but the pressure that they have to put on themselves and that you put on them to get them there just so that they will succeed, you know, in at your definition of success is is not fair to them. Um, and it's not even fair to you to put that pressure on yourself that I have to raise a kid to be this successful. Um, success looks different to everyone. Yes. And you know, you know, with with the finances, I mean, I'm sure people come to you and say, I just want to get here. Or, you know, you have people that want to get over here. And it's just it's it's up to each person. You know, my son always wanted to be have tons of money and and now I don't really think that's even on his radar. I I think he's pulled back and said, you know what, I just want to be happy. I just want to have enough money to to live and be okay and be happy. And, you know, everyone has to decide that for themselves. You, throughout our conversation, you've kind of touched on this four-part framework that you came, that you've came up with, but is there, is there a spot where our, our audience can go and get that? Is, is that on your website somewhere? Because you, ha- you haven't written the book yet, right? As far as I know. No, I'm still, I've got all that, you know, written down for myself. So I may try to um, self-publish at some point, but, um, you know, because I just literally within the last few months pulled this all together, um, I have one, uh, my first online course that I've done, and it was a Discipline and Consequences Bootcamp. And so it, it didn't pull all of it together. That was the fourth part of the framework. But so I'm working on courses, and that's what I hope to you know, build up to. Um, if you listen to my podcast, though, uh, speaking of teens, I I talk about these things, you know, periodically throughout the podcast. And, you know, I, what I try to do is when people have an issue, you know, they DM me or they call me or they um, or they come into the Facebook group and ask me a question. Then, and that's the speaking of teens Facebook group then um, I'll point out these these issues. And so when I'm trying to help someone, I, I bring these issues out and I, I, you know, steer them towards the right podcast to listen to or the right um, free 
uh, guides and stuff that I have. So I've, I've created guides on almost all this stuff, except for the, the fourth part about discipline. And that's what I did the course on. So, you know, and you can put all the, the links and everything in your show notes, but people, I have tons of free, really good, not the little freebies that you get where it's, you know, a one pager and that's it because, hey, I'm not a one page kind of girl. I want to give you all the information you need. So I have all kinds of good guides and a book list of, um, you know, some really, really good books for people to read on parenting where where I get a lot of my information. And, um, you know, because I'm here to share. The, I'm not here to hold back. I'm here to share because I don't want people to make the mistakes that I made. So I'm working on, like I said, I'm working on getting um, programs out there and more um, online courses and that kind of thing. But in the meantime, I've got free information, free podcasts, free Facebook group. Everything's free, free, free. <laughs> so we'll be we'll be sure to link to um, your website, which is neuro... Neuroagility. I thought neuro that was agility. cute because, yeah, neuro and agility and neuroagility. So, yeah. So we'll be sure to, to link to that where you can get all the resources that you're just talking about, right. uh, including your your podcast, Speaking of Teens. Um, and I could have you on for probably like another hour, but let me <laughs> let me get to my my closing question that I, I okay. ask all my guests. Oh, which yes. Is, I think I've heard this. Yeah. If you yep. most people listen to the show and, and I'm I'm, I'm going to be really fascinated on what your answer is. <laughs> and the question is, what is the best thing about being a parent? Okay, well, so uh, I, I don't think a lot of your guests can actually give this answer because they're not as old as I am and they don't have kids that are fully grown little people. But I asked my husband about this earlier. I'm like, I know he's going to ask me this question. So what, what would your answer be? And he said something I can't remember. But my answer is it's awesome to see the final product. You know, after you get through all these years of struggling to figure out what you're doing, and to, you know, parent them. And then when you get to the, I hate to say end of the road because it's not really, but when you can finally look at your child and see a blossoming adult, I mean, my, my son is 22, which is still an adolescent year. Our brain isn't finished until we're in our mid-20s at least and maybe close to 30. But it's amazing to see that you know, the way he acts and the way he treats other people and how he moves in the world is so reflective of now I see how we raised him. Despite those couple of years of hell that we went through, you can see that in him. And he, I mean, he was always a good kid. He was a sweet kid. He, he just had a couple of years of, you know, not knowing what to do and I made it worse. But seeing that final product and seeing your child out in the world and really like, cleaning their own room and washing their own dishes and doing their own laundry, even though they wouldn't do that at home and they would have never done that at home, it makes you realize that, you know what, they don't have to be perfect at home because one of these days, just like we did when we grew up, one of these days, they're actually going to figure it out. And the things that we've taught them will, you know, they're back here in the back of their mind somewhere. And then at some point, they kind of come to the forefront and they, it all just kind of falls together. So that's what I tell people is, you know what? You don't still throw your wet towel on the floor, do you? And you probably pick your dirty clothes up out of the floor. So 
they're going to do that one day. Don't don't you don't have to remind them 30 times a day. One day when they have to, they will, because guess what? Their husband's going to get mad at them or their wife's going to get mad at them and they're going to have to figure it out. So it all works out in the end. And I think that's the I think that's the best part, you know, is seeing that, gosh, all that hard work and all those things we sacrificed and all those things we did. Look at him. He's doing great and it's all good and he's happy. So that to me, that's the best part. Yeah, I I knew you were I knew you would deliver on that answer, Anne. And yeah. I think it to, to that to one of your final points there, I think it ties back to our the piece of our conversation we were talking about with expectations. Right. And that's that's an area where um my triplets will be 13 here this year and my plus one will be eleven is still having those realistic expectations and thinking about, you know, is is what I'm yelling about today gonna matter 10 minutes, 15 minutes, exactly. five, 10 years from now? Exactly. Probably not. Probably exactly. not. Exactly. Yep. That's a big lesson. Yeah. You need to be listening to my podcast every week. Yes. Yeah. And it's a, it's a good one too. I've, I've gotten yeah. a few shows under my belt as well. Yeah. But, um, thank you. And I can't thank you for your candor and openness. Um, I know you, I know you're an open book to begin with from, yep. um, you know, our previous interactions and, and listening to your, to your show. Um, but I think it really, um, helps people hear your type of story, hear your personal story um, and how the things that you went through and were able to overcome um, to get to where you're at today. And so I can't thank you enough for being on my show and the work that you continue to do and share publicly. So um, thank you. I, appreciate I, uh, I can't that. wait for you to write that book though. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm on it right now. All right. All right. Thank, well, you, so thank much. you so much for, for being a part of the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. And I know we're going to have uh, a lot more uh, conversations to come. Thank you. I know that as a parent, there was a lot to unpack in that conversation from understanding the brain, emotional moments with kids, shifting priorities, validation and communication. But when I think back to the points that Ann was making is that in order to reason with a kid, a child, you have to come at it in a, in a sense of calm, in a moment of peace. I know I struggle with this a lot, but just having this conversation with Ann really reaffirmed to me about getting in check with my own emotions first before I can be able to help my child. It's that whole um, analogy, you know, getting on a plane, if in case of emergency, put your mask on first and then help somebody else. So that's one of my big takeaways with my conversation with Ann. The other would be the just the financial constraints that kids can have, even under normal uh, circumstances. So again, I think this is where financial planning and emotional planning all intersect with each other. We don't live in spreadsheets. We live our lives. And I think one of the things that financial planning helps parents do is to have this understanding of their what their personal goals are and emotions are and how those directly impact your financial success. If you've enjoyed this conversation, you do me a favor. Do you know anyone else who would enjoy these types of conversations? 
where we talk about the intersections of our emotional and financial lives. Because if you do, it's actually going to help both of us. Do share this conversation with someone. They will think you're great because you just gave them this terrific podcast and it helps me grow my audience. Or you can tell them to go to tamacapital.com. Thank you so much and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit tamacapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast.